Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is sponsored by EY. Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey. Hello and welcome to a very special consensus edition of Money Reimagined. This is not going to be a typical Money Reimagined podcast. It is more of a TV show than a podcast, but we're really excited to be here. We're going to be talking DAOs with Kimball Musk and Tracy Bowen. It's going to be great. It's going to be quick, it's going to be short, but it's going to be fun. Sheila, here we are, hey, consensus. Michael. This is live. In person actually again, live. this don't, time don't live. Don't flub anything because we're actually live. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, Michael. Oh my goodness. But uh, a lot of energy here. Yes, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. Couldn't be more thrilled to have this conversation. I was fortunate enough to moderate a panel earlier today with, with Tracy, Tracy right. yeah, about yeah. DAOs. And I know you've spoken to Kimball similarly. And so I think this is this is a buzz. There's a lot of buzz about DAOs here. Will they prove to be the ubiquitous form of governance for all things blockchain? Or like the blockchain itself, will we kind of decide over time that we're seeing certain models that make sense in a DAO structure and others where maybe a corporate form, right. an LLC, makes well, more I mean, sense? Kimball, I mean, you, you deliberately described the big DAO, your big project, as an experiment. Talk a little bit about the intent behind that and how you're going through the process of learning and discovering the construct of what a DAO actually is. Yeah, so Big Green DAO, uh, you can find it at dao.biggreen.org, is an experiment in decentralizing philanthropic giving, decentralizing accountability of philanthropic giving, and we're focused on food justice in America. Big Green 501c3 has been around since 2010. We have worked in school gardens, uh, helping hundreds of thousands of kids learn science through the growing of food in beautiful outdoor classrooms. And when COVID came along, we moved to a grant-making organization, funding teachers, that continues to be what we do. But about a year and a half ago, I started to really dig in on Web3 and blockchain and DAOs and thought that wouldn't it be great if we could leverage the knowledge of the front lines of food justice, the nonprofits that are rock stars in America, helping in, uh, in tough neighborhoods get, you know, help them grow food. For us, we believe growing food changes lives. It, it uh, improves your nutrition security, improves your mental health, gets you out of nature. It opens your eyes to the weather volatility created by climate change. It changes your life. And these nonprofits around the country, we've we recruited six to join the Dow. 
we gave them a, a treasury or we raised money. I put I put a million in and we raised another six million and uh, people donated. These are pure donations, no tokens. Gives us the freedom to uh, give over power to these nonprofits, and now they're donating to other nonprofits. So there's a, a wonderful collaboration that's happening that usually doesn't happen in, in the nonprofit world. Well, I think we know philanthropy is broken. It's a broken model. And so DAOs do offer opportunity to think about how you get more stakeholders involved, like what you described. But Tracy, we talked about this earlier. I'd love to hear about her DAO and how you're thinking about community engagement in your model. So HerDAO is a women-focused developer DAO. We're only like six, seven months old. Um, and, you know, we're really starting to decentralize out. We started with like a pre-DAO model where we identified what our business activities were and things like that. And now we know how we can su sustain ourselves. We're, we're really happy to decentralize out, you know, but it's um, it can be quite challenging, to be honest with you, because we also have to to weigh up protecting our space because we're a women-focused developer DAO, so we can't just be, you know, a permissionless DAO and open up to everybody because then how do we protect the space, right? So these are like really interesting challenges that we have, but you know, we've done it really slowly and we're not gonna rush anything, but you know, it's a great journey to be on. You know, what, I, what I find fascinating about this is like, it's, it's quite different, Kimball, because you know, you're a businessman, you're the, the normal business process is, you know, you come up with a plan, you get the investors lined up, you do the whole thing, and then you launch the company according to plan, right? Tracy's talking about a situation in which, okay, we form the DAO, and then through the process, we figure out what we're gonna do and how we're gonna structure it, right? Exactly. Is, I that, think is that, that similar that to your experience? The process is, mm -hmm. we were experiencing the same thing, where we really go out of our way to say it's an experiment, mm -hmm. that we, as a DAO, will be able to uh, change the rules a lot in the first year, and then we will end the experiment, although we might call it, a, maybe we'll go into phase one, uh -huh. uh, and, and that'll end in September 30th, where most of the rules should be about set. And uh, we, we're, we're on our way. We're, we, by that point, we should be uh, probably a 300-person DAO, uh, but we're progressively decentralizing. We started with six, 16, 19, maybe this quarter we'll get up to 120 or so, and then next quarter, which will be the last quarter of our experiment, we think we could get over two to, maybe two to 300, and that in and of itself uh, is extraordinary. And so we're able to have this community of nonprofits and donors that care about food justice coming together and talking openly and honestly for the first time about how to, how to make a really big difference. Uh, philanthropy is... Uh, Traditional philanthropy is, is it, at, very, at, at best, it's a very inefficient, let's just say that. Um, I would say that it has a lot of uh, way to go to, 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 be, to be better, and I think a DAO takes out almost all of the administration costs, so you're, you're already, even if you do the same kind of decisions as a foundation, or you, you would end up with uh, dramatically more dollars to work with, so about probably 50% more money to work with. Sorry, what's the question? <laughs> well, I'll ask a different question, which is, uh, you know, humans are going to human. If there's yes. one thing that two millennia of human history has taught us, it's that similar challenges arise no matter what structure you put around them. How do you guard against that, given the, the model you have, which is really about, to some extent, protecting and championing women? How do you think about that? Uh, to be honest with you, we started with a really small group. And we're actually going to be a closed membership DAO, you know, so like we're going to actually know actually everybody who comes in at the beginning. How scalable that is, I don't know, right? 
but there is a beauty in, in having really small working groups, maybe semi-autonomous working groups that kind of like work on their own kind of things and then they feed back into the center. I think we're going to see like a lot of, you know, growth and a lot of activity like that. But yeah, there's a, there's a certain thing where when the group scales too big, you know, then decision making becomes very cumbersome, very slow. And we, we really want to keep that energy. You know, the the reason why Herdow has been quite successful is because we've been small, but we've been fast and we've been efficient and we've really like grabbed every opportunity. I think if we if we decentralize too far too big, then we might see some of that it, slow. It's fascinating because it really grapples with the tension involved with the centralization, decentralization spectrum. I know, Kimball, you've also like thought about a permission structure uh, to start with, right, to make sure that there's efficiency. But I think, I wonder, like, because, you know, this is, sounds like a bit of a tangent, but I think it's completely relevant. There was an academic paper out uh, this week that talked about, you know, Bitcoin actually had this early days of a rather centralized structure in which Satoshi and others were working together to make sure that it could be stable. And, you know, I, I actually wasn't at all surprised by it. It seemed like obvious to me that that's what you had to do because there's no way you could birth a perfectly decentralized system from scratch. It has to be something that is built deliberately. And I think we're learning a lot, you know, in the, in the, in the 13 years or so it's been since that white paper that um, th this is a process, right? And so I think, you know, what you guys are doing is really out there helping us all learn how we organize. What, what, tell us, Kimball, like some of the decisions you had to make about who's in charge, right? I mean, you are a founder. Right, and, and Tracy, you took as a, you just a found, even the word founder becomes a little problematic. Yeah, right? I'd be careful to call myself a founder because yeah, what, honestly, what, how do you describe yourself? Yeah, then? The, there were the founding committee members of six people, okay. and I'm not one of them. Okay. But I, I uh, was one of the architects with uh, an amazing uh, architect named Matt Markman. Mm. We worked with 50 contributors around Web3 to design a white paper that would progressively decentralized you know to your point we started out very small and we we're growing but we're we're not optimizing for speed here we're optimizing for good philanthropic decisions and for good community creation and I, I think that that also was important for us to at the beginning focus on to choose choose the outcome that you want the doubt to to have and uh, uh, so I would actually say the founders are these six amazing nonprofits yeah. that uh, are helping guide now this this DAO as it grows and it progressively decentralizes, becomes this bigger community, and uh, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I think as the DAO kind of grows, the word founder will become obsolete because you're to decentralize to you know the wider community and there's no head there's you know there's no kind of center but I think there is still room for leaders in a DAO that doesn't mean to say that your decision-making outcomes are are you know worth more than anybody else uh, so you should be all equal but I think some projects will need leaders right some some mini projects will will need leaders but I mean that's that's entirely fine as well and that works yeah. No, it really, it, it's what you're describing really is a commitment to being fluid and flexible and nimble and really what I think in software development we'd call agile, agility. And this is, I think DAOs represent, at least in my opinion, the best model we have for agile governance. Yeah. Because previously, right, we're stuck with models where you have to have a president or there's actually names in regulations around the Yeah, the titles even matter. Officers. They don't matter in a DAO. There's That's just, exactly right. And it's, just... it's fluid and flexible. But the other thing I think it's really interesting is it allows you to really take into consideration context in real time. 
and to embed externalities that often get left to the side into your very governance model. Mm -hmm. So how do you think about that, particularly in the context of, of, of food justice and the environment? Like, How do you think about externalities, like things that often get left behind that don't have a spokesperson in the community? How do you think about that engagement within your system? I think that's actually where one of the, what the, one of the greatest power of a DAO is. People, there are so many people in food justice that are doing wonderful work in America, and they, they, are, they feel like they're not seen. They feel like they're not heard because they're working hard in their school or their neighborhood and they don't have time to, to uh, you know, build a Twitter profile or otherwise. But what, what has been beautiful about our DAO is, is this concept of trusted circles where we started with six amazing nonprofits that we, we knew and we trusted. And uh, again, it's all trustless and everything, but actually there's a lot of trust in this. It's quite beautiful. And then they uh, expanded to 10 other nonprofits that they trusted. Yeah. And now it's growing to another 50 to 100 nonprofits that the larger circle trusted. And that that uh, is enabling people who are normally not seen, not heard, to be, in fact, invited in and join the community. Don't just join it because you're going to receive some funding, but also join it because you'll have a voice to where the funding goes next. And it's really been one of the most beautiful things about it. Yeah. I think that's kind of been one of our focuses, you know, has been the way we kind of reach out to you know, it's kind of like an equitable outreach. I think that's been one of our main focuses about how do we meet those people who don't have access to this space, you know? And that's really been something that we're really, 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 you know, really focused on. Maybe, Tracy, nail down why you feel like a DAO is important specifically for the goals of inclusion and, and diversity. I mean, how is this structure different from, from a, a charity, some other foundation? I think with a DAO, you get that kind of decentralization. People feel a certain amount of ownership with a DAO. People feel a certain amount of freedom with a DAO that you don't really get in a traditional corporation, even mm. if it's a non-profit, right? Because there's always this hierarchical structure. So you kind of get this thing where people are more energized you know, because they think they have ownership and, and, and it's, they think they have freedom. And I think you just get better outcomes when people are happy. People, yeah. are, people seem happier to work in a DAO structure. And, you know, within that DAO structure, obviously things can be iterated, things can change. I mean, in five years' time, we might be talking about something else. DAOs might not even be called DAOs, right? And they may be a lot more human-centered and the whole thing about being run by smart contracts probably won't matter anymore. Today's episode is sponsored by EY Blockchain. As businesses prepare for the token economy, EY is committed to building a better working world and connecting global business ecosystems on the public Ethereum blockchain. To learn more about the EY Blockchain portfolio of products and services, visit blockchain.ey.com. That's blockchain.ey.com interesting. I think one of the things I love about this is just, again, that agility and flexibility. In philanthropy, a big issue is what's called constituent feedback and basically the lack thereof, right? So oftentimes a, a, a philanthropy will give money to a nonprofit and not have any connection to the community that's being served. And so what I really love about both of your models is you're thinking all the way to that recipient or that end user, if you will, if you want to think about software parlance. How do you bring them into the community? How do you make them an active part of the community? And I think that what we're really talking about is embedding a 
accountability into your structure, right? Yeah. So everyone there is accountable to everyone else. Is that something it's you talk de It's about? decentralized yeah. accountability, and I think people think about decentralized governance in so many ways, but it's not said often enough that you can decentralize accountability as well. Because when you when you have to centralize it, for example, in a nonprofit world, that means you have to provide a you know 50-page report that takes an enormous amount of resources on your side, and frankly, you're not even sure if the the foundation or the donor reads it. In, in Big Green Dow, a donor uh, joins the Discord, has conversations back and forth with uh, every recipient. Um, if you donate over an ETH, you get to vote with uh, other nonprofits. And there's, uh, uh, there's decentralized accountability in that with, with uh, let's say we're, we're giving money to a nonprofit in Atlanta, we have members of the Dow in Atlanta that can speak to exactly what's going on locally. You've never been able to do that before. And I think yeah. that is going to be one of the one of the most most um, um, surprising uh, benefits of a DAO. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's like, sorry, eight principles, you know, I think she talks about, um, you know, monitoring monitoring as being a one kind of uh, the one thing that's really really important for a DAO right so like if you don't have that then what have you got to be honest with you so yeah it speaks to accountability in that sense yeah like I've been thinking here as well about um, something you were saying before Tracy about how people feel like they have ownership right I think this is actually a really interesting moment in terms of not just DAOs but also these NFT communities that are arising as well this notion that maybe the killer app in some respects of crypto is, is not just things like smart contracts and sort of the governance capabilities that the technology provides, but the simple fact that people do feel as if they can belong to something and pick and choose, right? That this is, okay, this is something I care about and that's something I care about and I have some ownership of those different things. It's not structured up through some massive hierarchy. It is something yeah. I can pick and choose. Yeah. So, I mean, Kimball from York, because you really do want, I mean, you're seeing this not just as a way to resolve food security. You do see this, I believe, as a model for philanthropy going forward. I, do you I have really a vision now? So, evolves and yeah, I've gotten many uh, foundations reach out to me to copy the model, other uh, philanthropic projects to, to learn from us. What is so wonderful about Web3 is the answer is yes. Mm. And it's written in a white paper and it's written in a smart contract. Copy everything word for word or change anything you want. Learn from us. Uh, we have foundations that are, are actually joining as donors to Big Green Dow so they can learn. So when they form their Dow, they will be able to leverage that. I, I think that the superpower of Web3 is community. Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about it in many ways, and I do think there are many values of Web3, but the superpower is community. But there are a lot of DAOs out there, right? And, and, and there's, a, there's also stories about people always starting to have fights within them because some people are getting more payouts and others are not and so forth. We're still early, right? I mean, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of things. I mean, and, and uh, you know, do you do you worry at all that, like, there's going to be some big major collapse and some fraud and all these things is going to set us back on this road? Not really, because that happens all the time. I mean, welcome mm. to crypto, right? There's a Black Swan <laughs> event, like, twice a year. No, it's never not... happens. Never, ever happens. <laughs> like, so... what, are you, what, what planet are you living on? <laughs> so, you know, I think if you're in this space for any amount of time you're kind of used to these catastrophic things happening but that's not really going to affect DAO working you know if anything we're going to see DAOs evolve as I said into a more human centered thing where it will really work to you know and center on human collaboration and this is what we need to be centering on maybe not the technology so much you know I think that's fascinating I and mean, I think that 
the trajectory here, of course, is in parallel with the technology, though, mm -hmm. right? So these governance models exist in part because we've seen what can happen when we remove intermediaries, mm -hmm. when we do put some model of decentralization into a system. And we've seen that, of course, first in the concept of fintech financial services applications. But now we're seeing how crypto has so much more to offer than just tokens and you know we, new ways of investments and speculation, that kind of thing. It has something to teach us. And I think it goes all the way back to the core of what you were saying, Michael, about Bitcoin. And what was the concept and theory of Bitcoin before it was the reality of Bitcoin? And so, similarly, I work a lot in the regulatory space. It's interesting to see, can our regulatory model be similarly agile, mm -hmm. right? Can we learn from the agility of DAOs and the models that we see there? Can we learn from the, the path that projects go through, where they do begin with six nonprofits or with a handful of people who come together with a vision, and their deliberate intention is to open that space and to hold that space so more and more people can come in, and then gradually themselves, it's such a low ego thing you got to have, right? You really to, have to... to you, you're right. You really have to yeah. put your ego aside. By the way, every nonprofit we work with in the Dow believes they're doing wonderful things because they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it because they really do believe they're making a difference. And so they have to actually change the way they think. They have to say, oh, wait a minute. Someone else is making a difference as well. I'm going to help provide Bring funding to together, them. together, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to do it in collaboration with other nonprofits. That also, this is not self-serving. There's no way, you, while you're joining, while you're a voting member of the DAO, you cannot provide, you cannot give money to yourself. So you're only joining so that you can collaborate to give money to others. And it is about, uh, there's a lot of it about put, putting your ego aside and saying, let's go do good things together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I really do believe that uh, if Big Green DAO does good things, mm. the engine will continue to grow. Tracy, I've been thinking about this this concept of like putting your ego aside and this collaborative approach. I was thinking of the fact that you're also here involved with our Web 3-a-thon yes. uh, that, that Tracy Wong hey. from Cradle is putting on. Yeah. And it's a... Um, you know, the thing that's really interesting about it is, is I think it's built around this idea of collaboration. It's a multi-chain thing. We've got multiple chains that are sponsoring it, which in itself is quite unique, right? It's yeah. typically one chain wants all the developers to build on their chain. Our puzzle is this. But how do you think sort of some of the ideas of, of DAOs and, and that concept feed into something like a hackathon, which is built around the concept of a competition, right? It's typically the, the, the traditional hackathon is one in which the winner gets all, right? It's built around that idea of, of competition building the fastest and best thing. Yeah. But really, we're sort of trying to think of collaborathons almost. Yeah, I think, I think Trisha Wang has done a, an amazing job mm. with this hackathon because they've really centered on the fact of making it hyper-local, about bringing in the local community, about bringing in more underrepresented people. So, you know, they're they're, they're moving on the concept, the traditional concept yeah. of the hackathon yeah. and like making it speak to local issues. So like maybe more people will be hacking on local issues and what Web3 can do for the people of Austin. And when, when Trisha and Lauren and I co-founded Cradle, yeah. the entire premise of this was to say, where are these folks in these conversations, uh -huh. right? So even in an economy that was predicated on learning from the sharing economy mm -hmm. experiments that happened, right? Learning from decentralized technology, learning from the mistakes that have happened in Web2 and in legacy financial institutions. Nevertheless, we still were not embedding true inclusion into any, we didn't see it anywhere. Exactly. We saw it in very isolated instances of very exactly. hyper-local projects. So again, encourage everyone 
everyone to pay attention to the Web 3-a-thon. It's going to be a year-long process of all these different kinds of experiments that are going to happen in different places to say, how do we empower people? Mm -hmm. And so I want to I want to kind of talk about that concept and end on that, which is how do we think about empowerment and agency in these systems? We talked about this a little bit. We talked about agility, flexibility, inclusion. But fundamentally, I think that really comes down to by disempowering ourselves, whether we're at the beginning of the creation of a DAO or whether we are seen as having authority that we don't even want to have over the long term, right? How do we use that to empower others? And what are what are the steps? I want like process-wise, what are the things that you are thinking about in these earlier, well, in the earlier phases and in your early phase, where you are deliberately trying to empower others to either step up and start a project or you know engage with this in some fashion? What does that look like in your models? You know, I think it's a it's a great exercise we're going through to. Uh, first of all, I had to choose to give up all power. So when we started, we gave power to the six nonprofits, and that was a true feeling, of, a visceral feeling of uh, something I'm not wasn't used to. Where I, I'm used to be seeing a CEO, command and control. I'm gonna go. Get, I'm really gonna give all the control over, and I had to. I had to feel that in in my my body, and and uh, I was. I mean, there's a coach there to help, but I'm. I don't no voting rights. And then uh, back in April of, of last month, I guess, or a couple months ago, they they gave me a vote, and they didn't have to. And I was like, oh wow, I'm now one of 19 voters. And they went by doing that, they had to empower me and had to lose some of their own power because every vote they give out means that they are diluted in their, in their power. And that exercise, it gives me goosebumps. It's so beautiful. Um, people are uh, excited about it. They are uh, uh, having honest debates about it as well. And uh, this quarter will add uh, maybe another 100 members. And that means that every person who was part of it, including myself now as a voter, I'm going to have considerably less voting power next quarter, and it's kind of fun, and you get to have that conversation, and, and uh, because you can't take people's rights away, the conversation is very honest and raw about uh, these folks have been underserved, these folks have been have not been seen, mm -hmm. and they're very frustrated, and uh, now they are joining and they get power, but now they have to give it away, and that is, and they're giving it away as well to people who have not been seen either, and yeah. also have felt underserved, and so. It's, it's really beautiful. So the question, the question we ask is like, you know, what does that person need? We always ask what they need because we always want to bring people into Web3, but like maybe they don't have a computer, maybe they don't, you know, oh, even have a home right. either. So we just want to always look at the equitable kind of, you know, things around the lack of access. So, you know, I think it's important to have that conversation when you try and help someone and when you bring them them in. So, you know, that's that's basically been our approach from the whole from the start. Yeah, and Trish and I this is build with not for. Yeah. Right? So it's this idea that you are in community from the very beginning and you have to be mindful of your mm -hmm. role in that community that evolves over time. Yeah. And you're constantly earning a place and in the community. And you're nurturing the community. Nurturing as an community. early member, exactly. as a member joining yeah. today, you're always nurturing the community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to have to wrap up pretty quickly here. This, is, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. I suppose one of my big takeaways is I feel like as you guys talk about this process of discovery about what it is and the giving up of rights and the figuring it all out together, it makes me always think of like the founding fathers almost, right? Like what were you doing? You're sitting there trying to figure out what the Constitution looked like. I mean, I know that seems like an extreme, maybe hype-driven way to describe things, but I really believe there's something quite fundamental to that constitutional creation that's going on, right? We're really figuring out how do we actually govern ourselves in a, in a way that respects, to your point, Tracy, what everybody needs, what their respects are, what is, what's going to function in the collective good of everybody. So, listen, 
you know, Godspeed to you both yeah, because this you, is yes. important. I, I do need to say uh, the last work. call for applications to be a non-profit to receive funding is Sunday evening. So if you're a, 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 a free right justice here. non-profit, go to dow.biggreen.org and uh, apply to mm-hmm. join our DAO. Do you have a CTA as well? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that I'm building a hackathon platform with gender parity absolutely embedded in the model, right? So no more are we going to have these kind of things where you don't have gender parity in a hackathon. It's going to be right here. It's called right. Her Hacks and it's coming. Very cool. All right. So Love that's it. it, Sheila, I'm afraid. Yeah. This Could've very special forever. edition of Money Reimagined. Thank you very much for having us. Come back next week for a, a rather slightly more normal <laughs> version of Money Reimagined. Kimball must from Big Green Dow, Tracy Bowen from her Dow, my wonderful co-host Sheila Warren. Thank you so much. That's all we have time for. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. For now. <laughs>